Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide for how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil and I'm a mixing engineer. Good day to you, wherever you are, however you're doing. I really hope you're all well and I was going to say surviving, thriving out there in this in this weird time where it's starting to turn back to normal, but not quite yet. I wanted to say at the head of the podcast that if you really like what you're listening to and you find it helpful, please do consider sharing it with any friends and bandmates. And please do leave me a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It helps spread the good news and helps more people to experience what you're experiencing, which is only surely a great thing, unless you hate it. And then, you know. <laughs> so this week I've got an interview with Matt Jones of Twisted Illusion. We have a discussion about all sorts of things such as writing music with partners in the band and why that's important, setting up a successful Patreon for your band, which I think a lot don't do and probably should, and using a short feedback loop to improve your skills. All really important and interesting things that we discuss. I'm going to stop wittering on and just say on with the interview. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Matt Jones of Twisted Illusion. Matt, how are you? I'm I'm, I'm a bit traumatised because this wasn't a simple thing to arrange. <laughs> um, we just had a right nightmare trying to get this together, don't we? <laughs> but we're here now. We're here now. That's all that matters. Well, thanks for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. I've been like I've been following your Instagram for a long while with the with the daily tips. So. Uh, is I'm glad to finally talk. Hello. <laughs> so my first question, as always on the podcast, is from a random question generator. So my random question for you today, which has nothing to do with anything, is when was the last time you changed your opinion about something major? What a random question. That's a great question, that, isn't it? Wow. Going in deep straight away. I don't know. I mean, I've got to keep it music related, I think. So... I, I guess it kind of neatly brings us on to what I assume we will talk about mostly on this podcast, and that is recording. I always saw that as someone else's job, someone else's responsibility. I was, you know, I was the artist, the de the delicate artist that didn't need to know about those things. And then the pandemic kind of forced me into a situation where it was either I got stuff done at home or I'd be taking a very long break from recording because, you know, we couldn't go to studios and stuff like that. So... I absolutely had to learn that skill and I think yeah my my opinion of that has changed drastically over um the last yeah 12 months or so and I've become very very like invested in the whole production side of things now which I was I was always invested in it in in terms of the end result but never the journey of getting there it was just always someone else's responsibility to me I never I never considered that I could learn those skills or try and adopt them myself so yeah it's a heck of a learning curve though isn't it <laughs> yeah oh, oh yes <laughs> very much so i've struggled a lot with it as well like i you know even to just the, the most basic of things like you know just doing a high pass on a vocal or something just to, like the, the most basic of things that you you wouldn't necessarily consider when you're listening to music but now like i can tell those little attributes of things a mile off and notice where to correct things and all the you know the, the the real minutia of it all and i'm surprising myself that i'm developing that knowledge because i i just always thought i'd never do that so it is it's, it's been it's been great but yeah a steep learning curve for sure <laughs> yes so going back to the beginning how did you get into music in the first place what was your journey into the music that you now do green day definitely american idiot that album just 
exploded my mind when I was a little skateboarding teenager. Yeah, just that that album and that moment and that kind of cataclysm of just energy. Um, that whole record down to its you know grandiose concepts and its production and everything. The whole the whole mise en scène of the album is just so perfect to me and it just captured me so much as a as, as i think it did for a lot of i i assume you're roughly my generation it it seems to be a record of our generation that kind of introduced a lot of people to the alternative side of music i mean my first album that i went all to was the first darkness album permission to land that's that's the one that made me go i like rock music now i'm a huge darkness fan and i, I think their second album one way ticket gets really overlooked but it's a monster record that one way ticket to hell i love that but yeah permission to land's amazing debut as well yeah they, they kind of get written off as a bit of a joke band but they're to me they're one of like the most consistent rock bands of the like 21st century for me that their albums are just brilliant their latest record was wonderful like there's a lot more to them than you know the the dick jokes. I think very true. So the, you listened to Green Day, and then what? What? Where did it go from there? Where was you? Where did your musical journey take you? Well, I feel like that that kind of momentous thing like led into everything else, and kind of bled into this path that was just always going to be there. Um, it made me want to pick up a guitar. It made me want to songwrite. It it made me interested in music in every kind of facet, rather than it just being a hobby. Like I'd listened to music previously but I'd never had such an emotional reaction until I heard Green Day. You know, that music was just kind of a background thing to me. It was never it was never a prominent part of my life. It was never something I considered could even, you know, remotely be a career. It could be anything like that. It was just this thing that was there at parties and on the TV occasionally. It wasn't this thing. So it it led me to playing the guitar eventually. But it it wasn't like I looked up to Billy Joe as a guitar player and was like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm going to play power chords for 10 years. It was like, but that, it, you know, that whole kind of stylistic thing of writing songs and creating concepts and doing something bigger than, you know, one, uh, like a one hit wonder having this whole, like, I think it's no mistake that I've ended up doing a more progressive style of music. And the first record I got into was a big rock opera concept album, basically by a rock band. I think it's no mistake that the lineage kind of started there for me. But yeah, it it it's very much it just fed into the like the next ten ten years of my life, that one album and that one moment of hearing it. And everything else was just, yeah, kind of fanboying out. My music taste got a bit heavier as I, as I got older. Definitely went down the metal route and I kinda got to a point in the last two or three years where I'm just sick to death of hearing metal. Unless it's something really special like Devin Townsend in particular. That's really maybe Dream Theater, bands like that, they're the only kind of bands that have metal elements that I'm really interested in at the moment. I'm much more interested in people like Jacob Collier at the moment and Dirty Loops and, you know, all these crazy, like, kind of fusion people that infuse amazing pop music with ridiculous playing. I'm much more interested in something like that. So, I don't know. Yeah, Green Day. (laughs) Over and over. So, moving on from that, how did the band get together? Where did it start? I, I think I was trying to start Twisted Illusion like since I was about 17, but it never really materialized until I was around 22, 23, maybe like late university years. I'd had original bands previously that had all fizzled out and just never really went anywhere. They maybe got to the second or third gig and 
it was just you know the the, the youthful kind of naivety of things twisted illusion started in 2014 we'd done a little a few little things before that like um a jamming in bedrooms and stuff like that but i don't really consider that an, a, any necessary inception like our first gig was in 2014 so that's kind of like when i consider the band started and it was very much like a kind of democratic band at the start it was you know a bunch of friends together writing music and it was a very traditional sort of lineup um it was uh two guitars and we didn't have a keyboard player at that point it was just two guitars bass drums and i was i was singing it was a very kind of you know cliche kind of lineup but it it very soon like kind of became my vehicle quite quickly i wrote the entire first album on my own i then started to write the second album on my own and i got very frustrated with not having collaborators and i think we we since then we'd had a very like tumultuous period of lineup changes constantly and i think it's taken me today where i have i do have now uh two complete songwriting collaborators who write just as much as i do in the band and i feel like that's the band i have today is what i've been trying to build towards since the inception of the band and i feel it's taken me this long to kind of establish a good foothold with that with the right people and it has been re- a real trial and error thing to get the lineup right and i feel it's finally right so it's 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 not it's not been easy to set twisted illusion up and i don't think it ever like was there in the beginning which is hard because you kind of like on social media you have to be public and you've got so when you have all these lineup changes there's a lot of insistence that people know what's going on and the reasons behind that and they obviously don't but it's um it's it's very hard to convey any sort of consistency to people unless you've got the same four people forever and that unfortunately doesn't work out for a lot of bands and it's not always you know something you can control people's lives go in different directions you know jobs kids you don't know what kind of commitments get in the way so we've definitely kind of been a victim of that in terms of just not having a consistent lineup and it looking like a bad thing from the outside but the last couple of years have been very stable and I think it's no mistake that the band's been on a bit of an upward curve since that because it has definitely helped having consistent collaborators. So now that you're working with uh, people in the band, in the writing side of things, how do you feel that that's affected your the way that you write? It leaves me free of a lot of responsibility because there is a lot of pressure if you're writing an entire record yourself. That is an immense amount of responsibility that I don't think should ever fall on one person's shoulders. Um, you need perspective and you need honest perspective. So I think it gives me a kind of in-house honesty that, you know, I, I wouldn't normally have through my own, you know, obviously I think my songs are great when I write them. It's harder to be objective when you're on your own. So having two other people to bounce off who will go, no, nah, that's a crap idea. And I'll be the same with them. No, that's a crap idea. But equally celebrate the great ideas, I think is the most important part. So it, it, it it alleviates that pressure and that responsibility on myself to always be creating. I feel like I can create a much more natural speed because as much as like I am quite prolific, I do just write and write and write. But I feel that is just a kind of negative of my personality. It's just, it's an obsessive part that just happens. And if I can alleviate that by having collaborators there, 
and people who bring songs and and a part of the process then it's nothing but a positive to me and it's only impacted um the process of writing songs positively for me over time and i can definitely see the impact it's had on my writing as well so you got the band together about 2014 and then presumably you spent a while writing some music and rehearsing and getting to that stage and then you had your first gig what was your first gig like as a as a band it was it was pretty dreadful if i remember correctly <laughs> so our first gig was like one of these i won't mention the particular promoter but it was one of these like pay to play kind of gigs where you sold 50 tickets and you and you got paid like 30 quid for generating hundreds of pounds in sales and then you'd get on the stage at like Manchester Academy, which was a great thing. And that's why most bands did these gigs, because they wanted to play Manchester Academy. So it was like this kind of the promoters preyed on that. So, the, the, the you know, there was a lot of promoters playing playing on these kind of, you know, young, naive bands. And we definitely fell into that trap hard because we didn't know we were starting out. It was our first gig and we did one of those gigs. sold you know, sold our 50 tickets, got all our mates down and. Yeah, we were pretty dreadful because the the thing is, b- before we'd even done our first gig, we'd already had a record ready, which I now consider our demo. It's not it's not our first album. It's what I consider our demo. We at the time um, we were like, nah, we're Deep Purple. We've just done you know in rock. This is sick. It wasn't. It was very bad and full of complete youthful naivety. But the first gig was just kind of like I don't know. Because at the time we did our first gig, I was gigging heavily already in a Iron Maiden tribute as as the frontman, as the Bruce. So I was like, I was used to gigging quite heavily, but the band weren't that we had at that time. So it was a mismatch of experience because I was quite versed in playing every kind of venue, whether it be doing cover gigs or these big tribute clubs or whatever. I'd already kind of had a taste of what a good gig felt like, what a bad gig felt like, when you're winning over the audience, when you're not. So to then get on a stage with a band who's, you know, not done that many gigs, it's hard to kind of match. You need the band to be at the same level where where we're all confident and we're all self-assured performers. And we were we were very disjointed for a long time because of that, because everyone had very different experiences of gigging and, and, and also writing songs and a lot of things like that. So uh, the early days of Twisted Illusion live, I really don't harbour any kind of love for them. We've definitely grown, got better, and become a very well-oiled professional machine, I'd say. And I, I kind of cringe at some earlier videos of us. It's like, ah, uh, wow, that's where it started. Never good. But you've, you've got to embrace where it began and then go from there. Yeah, I guess. But... I'm too stubborn and I just hate I hate that the internet exists. So everything's captured and it drives me mad. You know, you can't you can't have a bad day in the internet. In the internet, that's a normal sentence, isn't it? On the internet, whatever. But you're like everything's just so readily documented and I think it's really hard for a band to start these days because you've got to be the finished article straight away a lot of the time. Uh, and there's so much expectation for you to be like perfect in presentation straight away and no band that has ever been 
worldwide famous or had a successful long career has been the finished article within the first couple of years ever you can say that of all the greatest bands you know you can say that of queen you can say that of russian led zeppelin and purple and you know it it just it's the case for any good band bands need time to get to know what they're like live they need to get to know what their sound is they need to understand where they sit in terms of songwriting and that's definitely been the case for us and I, I'm 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 glad that more people are being introduced to us now rather than five years ago because that would be of huge detriment, I think. I'm glad we kind of slipped under the radar for a bit and didn't really get any notoriety early on. I'm glad of it <laughs> because some bands blow up straight away and and they've got no time to process who they are or what they want to do. Um, so that there is a benefit to, you know, not getting anywhere quickly, I think. I forgot what the question is, but I hope that made sense. <laughs> it did make sense. I'll take it. I'll take it. So, <laughs> so it sounds like your first gig was a bit of a mixed bag, and in your early gigs were a bit of a mixed bag. Ha- has there been any nightmare experience gigs where everything went wrong in one way or the other, or was that your early gigs? Oh yeah, I, I've definitely had some PR disasters at gigs, shouting at sound and engineers live on a YouTube stream while it's going out to thousands of people. I've definitely had those. Um, so you'll probably appreciate this as as someone who is, you know, uh, very much invested in sound. Um, so we, I've, I, I told this in a recent interview, this story, and I was, I was really irate about it. So I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and tell it a bit more subdued and rationally. So we were, we were sound checking at a venue. We were doing a full UK tour. It was our first ever UK tour. And one of the dates we were booked to do um, like an all day and we were headlining the end of the night. I think it was the Saturday night. Or was it the, I can't remember. It might have been the Sunday. We were headlining one of the days anyway and there had been like eight bands on during the day. Now, for some reason, the venue decided it was a good idea to have the band soundcheck in front of a capacity audience, which is always a good start. So we 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 started sound checking so for a start the bass amps input was broken off you know like the little washers weren't on it so we were trying to like feed it through and plug it in that that was that was the first nightmare then the di box for the bass wouldn't work either luckily we'd brought all our own gear and all our own bat lines so a quick nip to the van and that sorted that out but we're still wasting time anyway we get to start checking the guitars and we've got everything going sorry about my really mank accent by the way but um we've got everything going through 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 so everything's mic'd up through the cabs and we've got just you know like the, the amp sound coming on stage it's quite natural and then we've got wedges in front of us as well the guy was mike i think he just mic'd it all with a 57 the cab and, and another condenser mic i think and then was sending that signal back to us through the monitors now i don't know how he achieved this but for some reason, all his we got back through the monitors was a delayed, like, direct signal, a DI signal. And it was clean. So I had this, like, growling martial amp behind me, and then a delayed DI signal coming through the wedge as we're trying to play a song. It was horrific. Meanwhile, we are trying to sound check with this absurdity to an art that there must have been about 150 people there. And we're trying to do this sound check. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to like hear the guitar and I'm like, what's going on? Why is what's going on here? And then the sound guy didn't even know what was happening. He came over and I showed him. I was like, look, 
the, the amp's dirty there and it's clean and it's delayed. What's happening? Why am I getting a DI signal through the wedge? Aren't you just sending those mics here? And I couldn't understand what was going on and he couldn't. And there was about 25 minutes of just complete faff, all while the audience are watching us and heckling us and calling us prima donnas and all this. Like, oh, just get on with it and all this. And you can't explain to the audience what's happening because they're not going to understand. So we just have this situation where we're pointing about and looking like we're being absolute dickheads whilst it's all being streamed on YouTube as well. So all it looks like to anyone who isn't there is these guys pointing about and demanding stuff. And like, so yeah, next day we were slagged off to holy hell. Like, Oh, I never booked this band again. Um, it's fine. We've gigged since, but like, <laughs> yeah, it took some time to recover from that one. That's probably the worst gig I've ever like experienced in terms of like technical issues and just fallout from just people not doing their jobs or just, doing basic things i'm sure we were sabotaged or something i'm sure someone didn't like me at that gig maybe maybe they sabotaged the sound i don't know maybe that's too loaded of a a sentence but yeah that's definitely the worst experience i've had at a gig and it was it was it was a complete nightmare i've had plenty of funny ones funnier and probably the funniest was um i did um i was doing a cover gig and i was doing the solo to highway star by deep purple it's quite an involved solo, and uh, when it gets to the that little like mad tremolo picked bit, um, I started to have a nosebleed quite violently. I I I I usually get nosebleeds, and I was wearing white, of course, I had a white shirt on, and then the E string snaps the high E during the solo. So I played the solo one handed, covered in blood and without a string. Got to the end of the song, and I like that was well cool, and then kind of just dusted myself off and went to the toilet whilst the bass player and drummer did something else. Uh, that, that that was a fun experience. But yeah, I've definitely had some terrible gigs over the years, but some equally wonderful ones as well. Like I've, I've had some amazing memories from gigs, but yeah. Nice. Okay. So, that, I mean, that one sounds traumatic in its own way, but kind of a good memory to look back on, <laughs> at least. I was definitely laughing through it. Yeah, okay. That's, that's all right then. That's all right. So... Moving away from gigs and towards recording, you mentioned that you very much record yourselves. Is there a reason for that or is that just the way that it's ended up? It's been more of a recent thing. Like my eventual aim is to completely self-record Twisted Illusion myself. I I want to be able to be the only producer of Twisted Illusion. It's, you know, I understand what I want the music to sound like. But I don't feel my skill set's there yet. So we do work with a third-party producer who's co-produced, mixed, and engineered everything. And we master with a separate mastering engineer. But we have I have been doing some records on my own myself through the pandemic. I've been doing a monthly release for Bandcamp, an album a month, on top of our industry releases, shall we say. We have this very convoluted output at the moment where we have A and B releases, and all the B releases are the stuff I've done from my home studio, which are very much me learning production out loud in front of my audience, rather than waiting to present a perfect image, you know, by spending a lot of money and going in with a producer. I've kind of just, I thought the best way to test the waters of production is to get feedback on that. And the way I've kind of done that is each month I've grown and got better and done more expansive productions on things. And yeah, I've done, I think I've done about 12 albums from home 
since the pandemic in addition to doing some stuff remotely with with a third party producer who's of you know a, a considerable level above me is a very very professional he's got his own studio all the rack gear you could want all the great preamps and stuff and lovely microphones and everything so i've definitely learned some things from him as well been great kind of watching his process on our music and seeing how he gets the results that i absolutely adore like i love working with him but ultimately i want to be able to do that myself and that's what my aim is eventually with Twisted Illusion. I'm just very aware that I'm not at that level yet where I can set that full responsibility myself. So I'm trying to kind of bridge the gap where we do this A and B release thing so I can kind of separate the fact that there's a lower quality in the B releases so that the audience knows as well that that there is an admitted lower quality, but people kind of understand the process now and understand that I'm going through a learning process, but I, I want to do it with the audience there, like kind of you know, understanding with me that I'm I'm trying to get there myself. Because I feel if I just wait and do that, you know, over a four or five year period, because I, I, I'm not under any illusions, I'm not going to be masterful within, you know, 18 months of doing this. It's going to take me a long time to get a handle on a great production. As I'm sure you're aware, it, it's not an overnight skill, this. It's, it's something that takes years of hard work, years of trial and error, understanding different methods and, you know, really understanding every ounce of minutia behind it. And I'm very much a student of this at the moment. It, I'm getting some good feedback and I'm I'm enjoying the process, but I, I know I'm not there yet. I, and I hate being an amateur at something. You know, it's like, I, I don't like being, you know, a, a beginner at something. It, it annoys me a little, but um, yeah, the eventual aim is for me to do that, but it's definitely a process. I mean, the what you've done that's quite clever is that you've got quite a short feedback loop. Is what I think that's what they call it in technical technical circles. So that you know, you record something and and mix it and all that, and then you release it, and then in very quick succession, people are telling you what they think, and then you're taking that to the next release, which is very shortly afterwards, comparatively, and so that you can build. And the thing I I always say to bands and artists and all sorts of people with every release is as long as it's better than the one before, that's what you really need. That's the that's the important thing. I always know what I've done wrong within about 20 minutes of upload as well. I'm always like, the, the, the one thing I learned on the last release, I'm sure this is a very common thing that most engineers know. I, I never realised that you could EQ a reverb and that just baffled my mind. So yeah, that, but that see, and I, I kept having this battle with with a because I I have a I have a palette with my teeth. I, I don't have my front teeth, so I have a palette for my four front teeth. And as I'm sure you can hear, it it creates quite a spitty high mid. It really gives me a horrible thing. And then if you put that through like a really ringing reverb, that the frequency it creates is horrific. So I was doing loads of EQ sweeps and trying to get rid of this really specific thing, and I could never get rid of it. I was trying DSs and everything, and just trying to make my voice sound better and i'd never considered that it was the reverb that was the problem i was like no that's just my effect you don't eq a reverb and then i I then realized in next month's release that oh no i could actually you know high past that reverb and low low past the reverb sorry and get rid of all these horrible spittiness and bring this down and put an eq at the front of the reverb and i never realized i could do things like that so it's just these little things that 
you know, no no one listening to it, you know, as a listener would pick up on and know why it's wrong, but they would know it doesn't sound good, you know. So it's like it's those little things that you you kind of learn on the way, and it's always annoyingly after I've uploaded something, I'm like, I could have done that better. But yeah, it that, that that whole learning process and and having that feedback loop, like you said, I think that's a good way of doing it. It's like there's immediate feedback every time, so that there's a dedicated bunch of people that are buying these releases every every month, which is great, both you know financially and you know kind of as a productive sense of a, a focus group essentially of people that are engaging with the releases every month. So I know what's going down well whether it's, you know, production or a songwriting perspective. But it's it's not the usual way to do things, of course. Like, most people just would do, you know, an album every couple of years and just have done with that. But I've just had to find ways to survive through, obviously, COVID. Because I'm a full-time musician, so it's it's not like I can just not work. I've got to have something that brings in income every month. I've got to treat it as like, you know, there needs to be something coming in every month and that's definitely consideration and it it can feel like you're cheapening it sometimes by having to do that. But it just it's just the reality of the fact when you bring money into music, you've got to make it a consideration. So it's been a nice tandem of being able to do a, a monthly album financially and have a learning process built into that. So that's actually just what I was going to come on to as my next question, which is you've fairly recently, I mean, I don't know exactly when it was, but fairly recently brought Patreon into the offing as a band. It's only about a year, yeah. Okay, so that's, I'm, a, I'm about right. It's not, it's not too long. Um, how do you feel that's changed what you do as a band and what you offer? Absolutely game-changing for me. I don't know why more bands don't use it. Um, it's basically bought me all the equipment i have now this microphone the the setup everything like my patreon has been a monthly amount i've reinvested into gear every month basically and it has bought me a home studio basically that i've been able to operate at you know a decent level it's not i've got a really nice interface i've got some good monitors strong enough computer and you know plenty of plugins and stuff uh i use the kemper for guitars uh, mostly, I'm gonna experiment with recording a cab soon. I'm 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 building up to the bravery of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's loud. That's, that's all I yeah, say. Exactly. Yeah, it's it, it's really been very liberating having Patreon. It's it's something that I think more bands should get onto, like I've just said. But the the clear distinction that I think bands need to have about it is they need to have the fan base first. It's not something you can grow a fan base on, I, f- I feel. It's just a place to look after the fan base that you already have. That is the thing, because you do kind of see bands are like, ooh, free money, and that's the way they treat it. It's like, oh, there's an income. It's like, no, no, you, you need the people there first that are already buying your merch, that are already turning up to your gigs, and are already invested in what you do, and this is an extension of that. It's it's a fan club. It's, 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 some, it's something's treating that vein where it's basically a blank canvas. You can use it however you want. It's not this kind of regimented thing where it's um, you've got to use it in a specific way like Facebook is, where you've got to play into the algorithm a bit more. Patreon's just a pretty blank thing that you can kind of put your own identity into and operate however you want it. 
I definitely don't operate mine the same way that I see other bands operating them. And that's a good thing. Depends what you can offer or feel like you can offer. Like, obviously not every band feels they could do an album a month. That may be too much for some bands. But like, I don't know. It, yeah, it's just, it, it it's dependent on what, what your aims are and what the band wants to do. But, but for us, because we kind of play into that um, prolific side of things, it's been a place where I can communicate with people so quickly uh who are really invested in what i do and care about what i do so i can speak to them i i put up you know two or three clips there a week specific content we do little edits of behind the scenes stuff we'll put music videos on there early early mixes of stuff demos all sorts of archive footage any news that isn't public yet like maybe we've been booked for gigs or festivals or tours get announced way ahead of time over there so it's this really kind of i guess i guess there's some sort of elitism to it but you know it's cool and yeah i I couldn't recommend it more to bands because there aren't a lot of bands on it it's very much kind of a a youtube centric platform it's a it's, it's kind of a way youtubers drive revenue they, they kind of navigate their audience to patreon and i don't see why any creative can't do that there are musicians on there of course absolutely but not in the same numbers is very outweighed by video creators and i think a lot more musicians could utilize it for a financially stable environment for their band because it it, it straight away gives you a monthly income for your band it's like it it's ridiculous it's it's give me so much independence to be able to invest money every month because you can see that amount coming it's not like oh we've got to sell another 20 t-shirts it's you know exactly how much is coming and it's yeah and it's in it's in the and and more so it's in the hands of the people that are on there as well they can cancel at any time there's no like subscription or anything they can come in for a couple of months and leave it's that there's no like obligation to the fan either so it's really cool for them. I just, I just can't say enough good things about it, to be honest. And I'm really thankful that I do have these platforms because I wouldn't be a full-time musician without them. I mean, I, I can, I can almost guarantee that there's two reasons why bands are um, hesitant <laughs> to use Patreon and other. There's loads of other similar other companies that offer the same thing. So. I think thing number one is that bands are worried that they won't have enough content and bonuses to put out to people. And I think thing number two is a bit more psychological, where I think people are worried, am I worth someone paying me or us as a band monthly for this? There's that kind of element as well. These are like the two biggest problems that a lot of modern bands have. And the biggest problem that I, I see most artists have in this generation is they are they're so afraid of monetizing things. They're so afraid of bringing money into music. And it's like, right, ask yourself the question, do you want to make a living from music? And if the answer is yes, you've got to bring money into the equation. And it, it it's a very simplistic way of bringing that about. But I don't feel most artists ask themselves that question. And it's like, I understand, you know, you want to be an artist and it's not about money and it's about artistic expression and all that douchebaggery, whatever you want to define it as. But the fundamental thing is, if you want to be, you know, a professional artist who's living off it, you've got to monetize that. You've got to use that word monetize and you've got to bring your business mind into it. And like you're saying, there are about people um, 
not thinking they may have a value or not not thinking that they um have the have, have the content rather that's down to them like you have you, you you have the ability to create that content yourself and for example with twisted illusion we've been documenting twisted illusion since 2016 i have about six years of archive footage across every session we've done the vast majority of gigs we've done behind the scenes everywhere and it's all documented and ready because i i understand that that's going to be of interest and of value to my discography and just just anything down the line it's it's all leverage at the end of the day for for some sort of um content towards what i'm doing it may not seem that interesting to me in the moment but someone may be really invested in how those records took place 20 years down the line and it's up to me to document that and have those things ready so um i i, I think all bands should just document themselves from the start and if you never need to use it that's fine but you don't want to be in a position where you know you need to make a documentary and there's three years of your life blacked out because you didn't think it was worth bothering with and then you've missed out the years where you had your biggest album um so i don't you know I, i'm looking at the long term yeah it's, it's something that a lot of people um underestimate is that when when you're in a band people who like that band care about the people in the band and care about what those people do and how the band works and you know what does a, a rehearsal session look like what does it look like in the studio all that kind of thing yeah a lot more than you do sometimes and i've definitely had that with twisted illusion where you know the, the fans will ask me something that i'm i'm like what you care about that i'm i'm not bothered about that and 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 a, something that's so trivial to me might mean the absolute world to a fan so I'm, I'm always trying to be considerate of that you know it's you know it's it, we can intellectualize this all day and act like it's really important but it is only music at the end of the day and it's 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 a weird way to you know get by in life by making noises and vibrations but like it's it's just it just shows you the power that it can have when you create a community around that and nurturing that and being aware of that and the impact it may have on people uh, I think is important. So I guess to come back around to Patreon, Patreon just kind of emboldens that and lets me see it firsthand straight away. I can I can communicate to the, the people that are closest to the band that are investing their money every month into me and, you know, enabling this to go forward. So I, I, I've got a direct line to those people and I can't ask for anything more really. Like that, that, that I guess that is, that is a positivity of social media and the internet having this kind of, direct access to the people who really truly love what you do this might be a difficult question to answer i don't know what in your opinion has been the biggest success of the band so far so we're about to we're about to release our debut album that that sounds like a stupid statement seven years in we re-recorded our debut album for the fifth year anniversary comes out in three days it'll be out on friday temple of artifice but our, the real triumph of twisted illusion i think is our trilogy which we're going to be releasing after our album comes out on friday we're going to be uh, releasing each part a few months you know between each other the trilogy is called excite the light and it's part one part two and part three but that really is kind of the culmination of like a, a period of three years of work that is just the most 
kind of exemplary stuff I think we've done and possibly ever will do. I'm immensely proud of it. I can't wait for people to hear it. Um, we've done all of the music videos already for it. It's already completely ready to go with these three records. We've just got to, kind of got to do our, you know, PR and our marketing push and all that kind of stuff and see, see, see how it goes, see how the press respond to it and see if we can pick up any plaudits and get on the road and just gig it really. But the biggest success has been the trilogy and it's very definitive of what we do and what we we've been aiming to do there are guest vocalists throughout it guest guitar players and things like that um people who just came and went to give their expertise to this record because i i always kind of have a trouble with like a lot of prog bands when their singers are so arrogant they think they can cover entire concepts on their own even when there are multiple characters so i'm always like you need different voices for different people. No singer is that versatile. So throughout the trilogy, there there is different voices. There's female voices. There's different kind of singers. There's baritones and high tenors. And I myself, I'm like a high tenor, maybe an alto. I'm not too sure. It changes day to day. <laughs> but um, it, having these different kind of singers across the trilogy has helped kind of give it just just a breadth of kind of interest rather than it just being one singer for three albums which i think would be really boring regardless of who it was you could take the greatest singer ever and um there's a debate we could have but like it you know it i don't care who you are no one is that interesting for three albums with their voice so it was really important for me to get different people on the trilogy and kind of show the different sides and the different timbres of voices and um different kind of songs that, that were being written so I'm really excited for people to hear that, and I will send it you over so you can you can have a listen to the trilogy because it's yes please it's definitely I I think the height of what we're gonna achieve in any kind of short term scenario anyway so yeah the trilogy the short answer it's worth saying for anyone who's listening um that uh, the debut album by the time you're listening to this has already come out just just laying that down um but it's, I also want to say that when it comes to prog bands and prog albums i completely agree that getting that breadth of different singers to convey ideas is really good so my my favorite prog artist one of my favorites is arion where he gets in so many guests to sing and just do each part one of the singers from the source is on our excite the light will shaw he's on um he's on the source by arion and he sang on uh our title track excite the light he's an amazing singer um, but yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's why an album like War of the Worlds is so incredible because across that entire record, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, of course, that entire record is just littered with different sounding voices to convey the different parts of it. And I don't feel enough fans do that when they're trying to do these larger concept pieces. It's always just, you know, usually one singer like... That's the big mistake I think Dream Theater made with The Astonishing. I'm a big Dream Theater fan and uh, The Astonishing is like their most hated album by most Dream Theater fans. And I think it's got some really great um, songs on it. It's just a bit overly long. But James Labrie's singing like the part of seven characters, one of which is a young female. You're telling me you couldn't get a young female singer in to do that? Like, it's ju- it's just not needed. And it's like... I feel a lot of 
prog bands can just get so invested in their own identity sometimes that they're like, well, we're the greatest band in the world. Clearly, we don't need other people singing on our stuff. It's like, that wouldn't be of detriment to you. It would help the concept. Like, um, So I'd like to see more of that. And I hope we can, you know, set a trend for how that should be. You know, having lots of singers and lots of lots of different voices to celebrate something that's kind of down the middle which is twisted illusion at the end of it for me anyway sounds like a good idea to me uh my so my final question really is what goals do you have for the band in the next six months to a year or so Uh, just to keep recording so at the moment so we're about to release our debut album then we go on to releasing the trilogy um, but in between all this, we've started tracking a double album from home. All the songs are already written. What this double album is, it's a compilation of the first six Bandcamp albums. So we wanted to kind of take some of those songs that were in the first Bandcamp releases that we were doing every month and give them the full treatment with a third-party producer. And um, yeah, so we're recording a lot of music Is is the first thing. Um, we have got some gigs booked for when things start opening up, which I'm excited about. Um, we're doing a mini tour in November, four gigs, two on each weekend with one of our favourite bands. I can't reveal who yet, but they're, they're they're an amazing band, and I can't wait to jump out with them. But yeah, just kind of the kind of the same the same old. But since the pandemic, we've had a new bass player, and he's absolutely hands down one of the most gifted bass players i have ever seen in my life he is just flabbergastingly good and that's that's a great word flabbergastingly but um yeah our our new bass player is just something frightening on the bass so i can't wait for people to see him with with the band and kind of showcase a new era of twisted illusion i guess and just get on the road i really i really ideally would like to be one of those bands that you know toured for seven eight months a year then recorded for two months had a month off that would be like my ideal scenario for ti in the end i don't know how it, how long it's going to take to get there but i work my damnedest to make it happen but that that would be nice in the end who knows because i'm pretty conservative about things opening up i i'm not sure what's going to happen I, I reckon you're going to have a lot of like it's not been already a lot of politicization of all this stuff and i i can definitely see another lockdown coming in winter so i'm kind of i hope it doesn't but oh i don't want to think about it i know i i, I just i i think we're going to open up all summer again and then there'll be some political reason to like shut everything down again and i hope gigs kind of really open up and tours start again and there's a kind of renaissance of music again. I, I really think that's what will happen when things finally do, you know, get back to normal. And I hope it's sooner rather than later, but I, th- I think we've all kind of adopted this, you know, kind of kind of background pessimism, I guess, where we're all like... Because I'm sure it was the same for everyone. Like, it was just such a shock to the system when it happened. Like, no, you can't go out, done. It was so abrupt and mental for most people. Um, I think most of us have kind of processed this kind of life now where we're indoors and we've kind of got used to it. I know I certainly have. I was definitely like, woe is me when it first happened and I couldn't really handle it, but I can see myself living like this now and it's kind of fine, but I hope it isn't. I would like 
my old life to return because you know i was very social i'd go to gigs i'd go and see bands all the time i'd mix with people go to different kind of gigs i'd go to you know acoustic nights and folky stuff and then you know blues and jazz bars and then rock and metal nights and everything and it was all great it was just cool but um who knows i don't know how i got so um pessimistic at the end but i i, I just want things to be okay is that okay <laughs> that's fair that's fair can't really argue with that uh to close out the podcast i'd love to ask for your favorite song from the band or maybe a song that you feel typifies twisted illusion to play at the end of the podcast so which song is it and why so it's the it's going to be the last song we released from the trilogy so there's going to be this kind of crescendo of the music videos that builds to this final music video that we're going to do so at the end of the trilogy um i had a choir i say a choir so i did um i did myself um like triple tracked just like standard you know left right down the middle on one microphone and then i started doing like a choir around the room of myself so i just stand in different parts and you know different proximities and stuff like that and i think i had about 40 tracks by the end and then i also got nine other singers to double track themselves left and right and then our wonderful engineer tuned and mixed a lot of these performances because some of them weren't particularly good but we, we made we made we made, <laughs> we made it sound great in the end but the the the, the entire like excite the light part three comes to this huge crescendo with this massive choir of people singing this lyric and the music video we're going to do for it is sorry excite the light part three is two songs two 31 minute pieces so it all leads like into each other um but i'm going to be doing an excerpt of a song called Restart Reality, which is the penultimate song on part three, into the choir section, which is the ending, what we're going to use for the music video, basically. And it's just basically the final the final act of the entire trilogy, and it's huge and massive and has every element of TI that I think kind of typifies what we're trying to do. Just completely bombastic, overblown vocals, loads of vocal harmony, just exceptional rhythm section from the guys in my band and um unbelievably so not a guitar solo um it doesn't require one that song um it was more about the vocal so um yeah that's definitely restart reality it's called is is the name of the song but it has a little addition of the choir at the end so that's what the music video is going to be rather than having a 31 music 31 minute music video i think that'd be too much That'd be overkill. And if uh, for any listeners, if you don't know much about prog music and you're going 31 minutes, yes, yes, that happens. <laughs> that is all I would say. Yeah. See, see, but I've, I've, I've wrote three minute songs as well. I've wrote three minute pop songs that are just, you know, two or three chords and dead easy. I, I, to me, the song is like irrelevant of length. It really is. If, if a song needs to be 30 minutes, it needs to be 30 minutes because that's what the concept suggests. And, that's what comes first for me. The length of song has never, ever been a consideration. I know there's a lot of bands that kind of go, we want to write a long song. I've never wrote like that, ever. No matter how disingenuous that might sound when you look at the song lengths on our albums, um, it's just not the case. Like We've got one album that's... The, the, the debut album that's coming out this weekend, it's only 36 minutes long, the album. It's like really short. It's got seven songs on it and none of them are over seven minutes. So it's like... 
That's great for a prog album. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so this is Twisted Illusion with Restart Reality. Matt, it's been great to talk with you. You too, man. It's been a long time coming. Don't you ship me